So the question once again is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Is Jesus the only way of salvation? Now, if any of you attended a secular university, maybe a philosophy class or an intro to religion class, you would oftentimes hear of this explanation of God-given, right? That God is like an individual who's on top of the mountain, and we are people that are summiting that mountain from different points of a trail that all make our way to the top. They'll use this as an explanation to help us understand why there are so many different religions in the world and faiths in the world. And really this question, is Jesus the only way of salvation, is trying to ask that with all these different beliefs out there, with all these different ideas in faiths out there, why is it? that Christians oftentimes believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Is that something that they've added on to their faith themselves, or is God really on the top of a mountain and all faiths lead to him? We're going to take some time to think about that more today, but really I want to Instead of answering that question, is Jesus the only way of salvation? I want us to focus in on something a little bit different. Hear me out with this. I want us to ask in, instead a different question. So instead of asking, is Jesus the only way of salvation? I'd like for us to ask this question. Why is Jesus the only way? Of salvation. Why is Jesus the only way of salvation? Do you see the difference there in both of those questions? You might be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Kevin, I do not know what you're talking about. That seems like a difference that doesn't make a difference. But sometimes I think asking the right question can sometimes be just as important as looking for the right answer. So instead of asking that question, I'm going to focus on why is Jesus the only way to salvation today? So in order to do that, we're going to be looking at John chapter 10. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. But before we enter into God's word and read a few scriptures from John chapter 10, I want us to talk about the context that comes about in John chapter 10. So if you were here two weeks ago when we were asking the question, why does God allow there to be pain and suffering, you would have remembered that we looked into John chapter 9. And who did we talk about in John chapter 9? We talked about the individual who was born blind. Now, if you remember that story, that story offers us a lot of insights into the mind and ministry of Jesus. Specifically because the world at his time looked at this blind individual and thought of his blindness under two reasons. Or the cause of his blindness was for two different reasons. Reason one, if you remember, is because of the sins of his parents. And reason two was because of his own sins. 
And in that message, which you, you haven't had an opportunity to listen to it, I encourage you to tune into our podcast and re-listen to that message or listen to it for the first time if you haven't had an opportunity yet. We learned the importance there of how oftentimes our world and our society likes to put people in a box, right? How if things are going wrong, we always want to blame somebody for that. And in their mind, they were blaming either his parents or him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, no, no, no. Those options don't exist to me. But that I'm going to use this as an opportunity to bring glory to God. And what does Jesus do? He heals this man of his blindness. And what a powerful story that was as we got to see firsthand an individual totally changed that the people that were around him, that knew him, looked at him and were confused in thinking that this was a different person. Well, what's amazing about this story is actually what trails on after this wonderful miracle that leads all the way into John chapter 10. But you see, what ended up happening after this blind man was healed was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, were not pleased at his healing. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine experiencing a miraculous healing, a miraculous touch from God and people still being disapproving? I mean, I think we all know people like that, right? That it doesn't matter how good it gets in our lives, they always find a way to make our situation seem bad or at least to suck the life out of the room even when we're at the happiest stages of life. This is a freebie here. This isn't part of the normal programming. But don't be careful with who you accompany yourselves with and be careful with keeping company that always tries to bring you down that even when God is doing works in your life they find a way to bring you down and diminish the works of God So these religious leaders who are so infuriated at this blind man being healed begin to start a campaign of questioning and they pull the blind man in and they begin to question him on how this happened because you see they can't believe for themselves that a blind man would become a seeing man because they believe that his blindness was tied to his sin. So finally, when they're unsatisfied with this blind man's testimony, they pull his parents in and begin to question his parents. And they're drilling his parents, but his parents are afraid of the religious leaders. And they reply to him like this in John chapter 9, verse 20. They say, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. 
him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. You see, what's interesting here and what is important for us in talking about today, why is it that Jesus is the only way of salvation? Is that understanding our current condition. You see, the Jewish leaders in some ways had it right, but in many other ways they had it wrong. You see, most of us, if I were to say this to you, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If any of you have grown up in church, you've heard most likely at some time or another that text from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you see, that belief that is, it comes out of the New Testament, out of the book of Romans, which I believe we could put on the screen for you, is really a belief that the Jewish people were committed to. You see, this wasn't just a New Testament belief, but this was a belief that the Jewish people were well aware of. That sin had entered the world. That things are broken. That we are living within a fallen nature. It's why in so- the, the book of Psalms, in Psalm 14.3, it's, er, it says this. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. You see, the people of Jesus' day would have known that the world is broken. But the problem was, is that instead of desiring a Messiah to bring redemption in their lives, to fix the broken state of who they were, they used brokenness as a way to label people and create a system of hierarchy. You see, the more righteous you were, the higher you were up the totem pole. But if you think about it, has that really changed much in our world today? Don't we oftentimes pass judgments on so many different people for so many different reasons that are oftentimes in some ways rooted in this same issue of how good you are? We do it today where we look down on people for being sinners where we look down on people for making mistakes. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to say that we shouldn't look down on sin, that we shouldn't be in some ways bothered by evil actions. Don't get me wrong, I'm bothered by the evil actions that go on on a global stage, as well as the evil actions that happen in my own life. The times where I'm a little 
too snappy about things, where I pass a quick judgment, where I say words, and I'm instead of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, I'm the reverse, right? I'm quick to speak, quick to get ang- angry, and slow to listen. These things should bother us. But at the same time, too, we should understand why it bothers us. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, wrote these words. In order to appreciate what exactly it was that Jesus achieved, we need to understand who we are as well as who he was. Or maybe you can even say who he is, right? So let me make clear for you. Each of us in this room is a broken person in some ways. Each of us in this room has been affected, tainted, and at one point of your life, controlled by sin. Sin has harmed each of us. It has broken each of us. And it has radically changed who we are. It's why each of us eventually will know death. Because with sin, there is death. You see, the sin that we experience in this world was never a part of God's original design. During our time of supplication here, when we were praying about all of these things, about sickness, about war, about the violence that we experience, about the harm that we are fearful of in life, all of those things were never a part of God's original plan. But you see, sin entered into the world, and we continue to participate oftentimes and add to the sin in this world. And if any of you have little children, you are reminded of this every day. (laughs) It is amazing how I do not have to train my child to do things that are wrong, and yet they're just so good at it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, kids. I know we have some of you in the room. Your parents make very many mistakes as well. But this sin that we experience is why Jesus needed to come. It's why Jesus entered into the life of this blind man to heal him, to offer in some ways a correction from what was broken. You see, after the the Pharisees dismiss his parents, they call the blind man, the once blind man probably better said, back in to have a conversation with him. And while they're talking to him, you have to read it for yourself. It is an incredible interplay of good wit and humor from the blind man. So much so that they continue to ask him question after question after question because they can't accept for themselves 
that healing would come into this man's life. So much so that the blind man finally, the once blind man finally says to him, well, are you wanting to become his disciples too? Because you guys keep on asking me all these questions about him. And at that point, they're so furious that they tell the blind man, the once blind man, that you were steeped in sin in verse 34 at birth. How dare you lecture us? And what does scripture say? They threw him out. You see, what's sad about this is that the Pharisees understood sin very well in some ways. But they didn't understand forgiveness. They didn't understand redemption. They didn't understand why Jesus came. And now I think it is important for us to take a moment to realize that. Because you see, I think this world is very quick to offer labels to put us into boxes of how the world wants to view us. Maybe some of you have come into this place carrying a label with you, carrying something that you might feel is true because maybe you did make a big mistake in your life. But a label nonetheless that continues to remind you of your former self. You see, what's sad about this story is that Jesus brings redemption in the life of this blind man, and instead of the Pharisees celebrating in this, they want to continue to remind this now-seeing man of who he formerly was, and not just who he is right now. Again, church, be careful with the company that you keep. If a person wants to continue to remind you of who you were versus who Jesus is making you to be, that is a person that you need to, in some ways, push on the outer sides or the outer circles of your life. Because that kind of thinking can cause you to move backwards in life instead of forwards in life. But here's the thing, church. What ends up happening next in the heart of what we want to talk about today in John chapter 10 is so important because you see, Jesus eventually has a conversation once again with this blind man. For the first time, this blind man is now realizing that Jesus is the individual who brought healing to him. And as he's talking to him in the Pharisees, we see what is unfolding in John chapter 10. And I'm reading reading out of the English Standard Version today for John chapter 10, and it's because I think the Greek here is better represented in the ESV version for this particular segment of passage, and I'll explain that a little bit later, but in John chapter 10 verse 1, it says these words, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
when he was brought out all his own, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Say that with me. I am the door of the sheep. Now, chances are you read these passages just now with me, and you're also like, I'm right there with the Pharisees. I have no idea what Jesus just said. But this ver- these verses here are, in my opinion, very, very important to understanding that original question that we ask. Why is Jesus the only way of salvation? You see, what's so important in understanding here is really what it means to be a shepherd, or more specifically, what it means to be a sheep. I know many of you at the Douglas Bible Study took time to read Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, and you probably had a lot of conversation about sheep. But for those of you that did not attend that that small group study, if you didn't know, sheep are among the most dumb animals, is that putting it lightly, I think, that have ever existed in this world. If you didn't know, they're just helpless. They're just helpless, domesticated animals. They lack a homing sense, meaning that they have no way of spatially orienting themselves and instinctively being able to go back home. Sheep, when they graze, they rarely look up. So because of that, they oftentimes, by the time they do look up, they're totally lost and have no idea where they are. If one sheep were to step off a cliff, most likely the other sheep would just go ahead and follow. It kind of hurts me at this point that we're oftentimes referred to as sheep. But at the same time, too, I look at this and I say to myself, my goodness, how true is this? If a sheep falls into water, they drown. If a sheep, the sheep are dependent upon the shepherd, and if there was ever an argument against evolutionary biology, I think the fact that a sheep exists could be maybe a prime case for how natural selection did not work its way out on a sheep at all. Because <laughs> it's amazing that they're still around and that they're still alive. But really, the most important thing in understanding what a sheep is, is really the fact that it is dependent upon a shepherd. It's dependent upon a shepherd. So when Jesus is saying that he is the shepherd of the sheep, the gatekeeper who opens the door, and that he is the door himself, he is telling the Pharisees that it is only by him that a sheep can enter the sheepfold. He is the door through which a sheep can enter the pen. Similarly, he is the door through which we gain a relationship with God the Father. He is the door to life. He is the door to salvation. It is only through knowing his voice that we can know where to go in life. 
When Jesus here is referring to this sheep pen or this sheep fold, he's specifically thinking of a sheep pen within a city. So this is an example of a sheep pen out in the country field. And you'll notice that there is a single opening on that sheep pen. And for those of you with better eyes, that's a wooden gate there. But oftentimes there would be sheep pens like this or sheep folds like this that would exist within a city. And the sides or the walls of it could be a building or it could be something else. And the reason why I think the ESV really nails this versus especially the older NIV, the NIV 84, is because it makes the point of talking about it within the wording of a gatekeeper. Because you see in the city, when the sheep would come in, when you would come and bring your sheep in, there was no way to be able to get into the sheepfold other than through that single door. So when Jesus, again, is referring to himself, not just as the shepherd, but as the gatekeeper, he's saying that nobody can enter this court other than going through me. Nobody can enter this court other than going through me. And in three ways, he powerfully makes himself the center of this analogy by saying that he is the shepherd. Why is that important? Well, because sheep get to know their shepherds so well that even if you have a mixed lot of sheep within a pen, if the sheep begin to hear the voice of their shepherd, they'll immediately start to come to him and separate themselves from the other sheep. Jesus is saying that he is the door to salvation, which is the big idea for today. Jesus is the door to salvation. Now, we understand this inherently in some ways. We understand that at times in life, there's places that are restricted to us, where there is a gatekeeper up in front, where you have to pass through that gatekeeper in, only, in order to get in. And I remember when I was in college, um, my buddy worked out a deal. He was working at a local coffee shop, and a friend would come in that they made a, a, a friendship with each other. And in exchange for free coffee, this individual would give us free movie tickets. Now, I don't know 100% whether it was legal what we were doing, <laughs> but either way, he would invite me and maybe another friend to go to the movies together. And every time we would go to the movies, we would have to ask for this certain individual who when we asked that individual, when that individual came, they would open the gate, so to speak, and we would get to go into the movie for free. Again, I might also need to in this sermon repent for that because I don't think uh, the movie authorities were probably okay with that. But at the time, that's what happened. And we could probably think of our own stories in our minds of, of situations where something was restricted and in order to get through that 
door, we needed a key, or we needed to know the individual. Jesus is saying the same thing about himself. And in order for you to enter into his court, you need to know who he is. You need to realize that he is the one that is at the door. He is the one that lets us in. Jesus is the door to salvation. It's why in a few chapters later, in John 14, 6, the verse that Jackie came ready to read that I stole from her, (laughs) it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door to salvation. Some of you, though, might be asking yourselves, I understand this. I understand that you're saying that Jesus is the door, but I still am not sure why he is the only door. Why is it that Jesus says that anybody else that tries to enter the court except through him is a thief and a robber? Why does Jesus say that? Well, it goes right back to the Pharisees right back to the problem of their day and the problem of our day. Well, because we as people have been broken by sin. We as people have been broken by sin. Sin has shattered us, and in doing that, it has severed our relationship with our Father. You might know people who believe in different things or maybe even don't even believe in God, who do good things, who who say kind things, who are good friends. But salvation is so much more than just good deeds because the truth of the gospel is, is that none of us could earn our way to the Father. None of us could do a good deed so good that it restored our relationship with our Father. All of us fall short of God's glory. None of us, at the end of the day, are truly good and without blemish. But that's the whole reason why Jesus came. You see, one of the hardships that I've had to experience as a pastor within this day and age is I've seen the moral compromise of the church, not just even morally, but within the belief system. Because you see, it's my belief that grace, the grace of God and the word of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's not cheap. There's no such thing as cheap grace. Grace is costly. It was bought at a high price that Jesus paid for it. So why is Jesus the only way of salvation? Because Jesus was the only one who could pay the price and who did pay the price. Jesus was the only one who could pay the price and did pay the price. You know, one of my favorite Christian thinkers of history, comes from the 12th century. His name is St. Anselm. 
And Anselm was a pretty nerdy guy. And it's going to take a little bit of thinking to understand what he is saying here. But what he is saying here is just echoing what I just mentioned a moment ago, that Jesus was the only one that that could pay the price and did pay the price. He writes these words in his book, Why Did God Become Man? He says this, Human sin is infinite offense, meaning it's we've offended God. The moment we sin, because God is holy, we infinitely separated ourselves from him through our sin. Since offense against God, human recompense is only finite. That means our ability to do good, our ability to make right is only finite since it was made by a creature. Unaided, therefore, the human race is incapable of making satisfactions for the sins of Adam and his heirs. Satisfactions can only be adequate if it is made by one who is human, therefore an heir of Adam, and also divine, and therefore capable of making infinite recompense. So again, I know it felt like a college class probably reading that right there. But what Anselm is trying to say here is, is that only Jesus could do it. And what's amazing about Jesus is, is that he humbles himself. He humbles himself in a making, allowing himself to become like a man, just like you and me. He becomes flesh, bones, blood. He allows himself to become dependent upon a mother who would need to nurse him, care for him, and attend to his needs so that he could grow. He becomes a man who is someone who has needs, who is hungry, who needs to sleep. But yet he is God. And he takes the punishment that is deserving onto us and he places that on himself. And you see, the cross in its power is that it is a display of God's great love. That he would make a way through suffering for each of us to then receive forgiveness and the salvation of our souls. See, Jesus is the door to salvation because he was the only one capable and willing to pay the price and pay the price he did. So why is Jesus the only way? Well, that's the answer. So when I look at other beliefs out there, and I want to encourage you that when you look at other beliefs out there, other faiths out there, it's not so much an argument on Christianity being better or Christianity being mean-spirited. It's that Jesus was the only one who could do it, who did do it. You see, almost every other religion out there other than Christianity will try to teach you that in order to get to God, you need to do X, Y, and Z. See, the philosophy professors have it right. You do need to, in some ways, climb the mountain to get to God. 
But Christianity stands so different because instead of climbing a mountain, Jesus descends the mountain to us and meets us right where we're at. So know this, church. The Christian message, Jesus, our salvation, is just as simple as that. He paid the price when we could not. And our salvation comes from him. He is the door. And all it takes is admitting him to ourselves, uh, uh, is accepting for ourselves that he is the good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the door to salvation. We thank you that you are the gatekeeper, not because you want to keep anybody out, but because every single other way falls short. You are the only way to the Father. I pray that we would be mindful of that within our own hearts, Lord. Lord, that if there is somebody in this room that has not made Jesus the shepherd of their lives, that they would do that, Lord. That they would be reminded in this moment that that Jesus is a person worth following. That he answers the needs of our lives. Father, I thank you that you are willing and able to make the sacrifice Lord, I could not make it, and nobody else in this room could make it, but you made it for us, and we bless your name for that. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation we experience through you. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you freely give us. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give us, the unmerited favor that we all get to experience through faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.